you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Let's get right into the word of the Lord this evening. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read a passage from Romans, the 15th chapter. And we're going to... This truly tonight is going to be more of a study, perhaps, than a sermon, and um, we'll see what the Lord speaks to your heart tonight. Romans chapter 15, verse number 1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that Ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. By the help of the Lord tonight, I, I want to talk to you about some habits, I've chosen seven habits that I believe every church member, every child of God should develop in their life, in their Christian walk. And I'm going to break this down for you and we want to talk about this for a little while tonight. But before you're seated, let's just ask the Lord to help us as we get into his word. Would you pray with me now, Lord? I pray that the anointing of God rest upon the messenger tonight as I deliver your anointed word, and I pray, God, that you open our hearts, minds, and ears to receive the word of the Lord tonight. God, that you may speak into every life, every heart, every situation. Lord, that you may accomplish the purpose for which you are sending your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, many of you have seen the book written by Stephen Covey, uh, it has been on the bestseller li list. It has been um, in every mall hallway. Um, oftentimes at checkout lines, you'll see the book of Seven Habits of Highly Successful People in which he describes the, uh, the, the ingredients that makes up successful people. And so many of these principles could adapt into our personal lives. These principles would create strong families, positive relationships, and certainly are beneficial in the church. One principle he suggests 
is to begin with the end in mind. And this is a great principle. What he means is that you should ask yourself what kind of family or what kind of church that you really want to be and then work toward that vision. He, he has another statement in his book that he uses. He says, first seek to understand and then to be understood. And this is a really great principle regarding listening to the thoughts and feelings of others. Get to know others before you try to communicate your own thoughts and feelings. And the third, in, in his book he talks about is synergizing or synergy. And this is, a, this is about two or three people working together for a common goal to produce uh, more than any one of them could, could produce working independently of one another, but learning to work together to resolve a mutual problem or solve um, a, a particular situation together, learning how to work together in doing that. So it is the, the art of cooperation. And these, no doubt, uh, th there is no doubt in my mind that learning to, to work together as family is a very important assignment. And it, it is very unique to watch as a minister uh, doing premarital counseling, preparing to put marriages together by doing the wedding vows. Uh, I often look at the backgrounds of, of the two individuals that are uh, dating and planning to marry and trying to somehow imagine in my mind what that family life is going to look like with two complete different backgrounds coming together. Some of you have been married for a long time. You're still trying to figure that out, right? And so it's because we come from two different backgrounds and we're trying to learn one another, learn how to, to, to get along and live together. And so sometimes the arguments arise, uh, arise over, uh, you know, I often talk about my mother used Tide washing powders I thought everyone did, at least every smart person did. I, I had no earthly idea until I married my wife, and she didn't use Tide washing powders. And so we had to learn to, to, uh, to work in cooperation in how to make things function. I, I grew up, well, maybe I need to stay off of that. Um. Maybe we'll get back to it and talk about it uh, at another time. But uh, our, in our text I, I, that I read here just a few minutes ago, the Apostle uh, Paul has listed seven habits that I want to pull out of this text that I believe helps us as church members to learn how to grow together, live together, worship together, serve together. And this is important, and I think this is an important lesson because each of us come from individual backgrounds. And if we're not careful, we will bring our backgrounds into the church. We all do. We all do. We all bring a little sense of, of our uh, background into the church. People may move in from other areas. Uh, people may come from other religious backgrounds. And certain things and certain ways of doing things uh, in the, their previous environment our previous church that they came from, uh, all of these things all come together and, uh, and, and somehow we have to learn to, to, uh, to function as a church body. How many of you know the church is a building that is fitly framed together? That's the kingdom of God. It's the church. It's how the church is formed. We are a building that is fitly framed together. So I want to talk about this for a little while. I want to talk about these seven habits that I see in Romans chapter 15. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome so that they would have a better understanding of the gospel that he preached and the kind of life that they should live. Now, Paul, at this point, most agree that Paul uh, had never been to Rome but he knew a lot about Christians who lived there. And if you read the 16th chapter, you see that he knew many of them by name. So evidently, 
They were scattered in small groups throughout that city, but had come from different backgrounds and different areas. How many of you understand what I'm saying tonight? They came from different backgrounds, from different areas. They came together and were scattered throughout Rome in these different groups. They were meeting in one another's homes. And here in chapter 15, he describes the habits that members of the family of God should develop in order to be able to serve God together. And the first habit that I want to point out that he brings out, uh, he says, let us consider one another. This is one of the very first things that we must do. It is learning to consider one another. I, I often say that uh, baths before church is a good idea. We consider one another. Now, if somebody came in straight from work tonight, don't get offended at me, all right? That was a little trying to inject a little humor there. So there's some things that we do that benefit others. And so it is learning to consider one another. So uh, in, in, in this text and in my understanding of this text, and what I see is that the apostle is trying to describe that uh, people come from different backgrounds and sometimes we don't know what our brother or sister has been through. We don't know what they've. We don't know what kind of what they've been through. Some people wear feelings on shoulders. I'm not dealing with that today, uh, but rather I just want to talk about in general the habit of considering one another. It's a great habit for us to to form to to consider one another. In the 24th verse, he says, "Let us consider one another and to provoke one another to love and to good works." not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together in the manner of such is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, in any congregation, we have a mixed group of people. And any time there is a mixed group of people, we all have our preferences. We talk about food, even in my own house. Now, I was raised in the Deep South. I did not know at, at Thanksgiving and Christmas. That was really the only two times my mom ever fixed dressing. I didn't know you had to use the word cornbread in front of it to say cornbread dressing. I didn't know. I thought that was the only kind of dressing there was. So I could say dressing, and it automatically meant cornbread dressing. I moved to Indiana, and my wife's family... God bless them, wonderful people that they are. They turned their nose up to cornbread dressing. It was a delicacy in the deep south where I grew up. But they had their own form of dressing that they made, rather referred to it more as stuffing, I think. And it consisted of gooey pieces of white bread. Maybe I should be careful. And so I tried a little of theirs and still preferred cornbread dressing. And the truth is, is almost 30 years later, my wife has become better at making cornbread dressing than any of my siblings can. So when my family gets together, guess who they want to make cornbread dressing? The girl from Indiana that didn't eat cornbread dressing. And so uh, it's, just, it's just a preference. And so... Our Thanksgiving, because we all get together, we do get along. You wouldn't think so but some of the messages that I preach. But we do all get along for the most part. And when we, when we get together, we have both cornbread dressing and whatever the other stuff is. And everybody's happy that way. So it's, it's, it's kind of how it works. So my wife fixes my favorite foods and then her favorite foods, and sometimes they're not the same thing. But we've learned how to get together in the spirit of unity because we're family. And so we learn how to exist together and to consider one another. Now, 
in any congregation, you have people from different backgrounds with different preferences. There's some who have been here in this congregation for a very, very long time. I was able to do a walkthrough uh, of this building with uh, some of our uh, property owners that are our neighbors here to our west this week. And uh, a group of men came and walked through and in walking through began to ask me about our congregation. And we talked some about our congregation. And really during that conversation it was so evident as I was describing how that we have people who have been part of this church for a very short period of time, uh, while we've had people that have been in this church for a very long time and all sorts scattered in between, some younger, some old, some like one thing, some like another. Uh, that's the normality of any, any church. There are, there are differences. There's differences in personalities, differences in likes and dislikes, many different varied opinions on things. So what I've learned is that life experiences often shape our opinions and our views. So it's what we've been through. So the apostle is telling us to consider one another because you may not know what they've been through. And if you read chapter 14, you'll see that the major differences that they had to deal with in their day was the eating of meat. Now, I'll be very careful because I know some chose to already start the Daniel's fast and so talking about meat already is getting angry faces and fist shakes. And so for the rest of you that are sitting looking smug tonight, it's going to hit you here in just a few more days, so don't be too smug about it. So, the the... The 14th chapter, the apostle is dealing with the issue of meats. And what he's talking about here with meats is there was a great discussion because there were those who came from a background where that they sacrificed unto idols. So they sacrificed meat unto idols and the meat that was taken from the sacrifice. Some was taken and was eaten in the temple and some was taken to the market and was sold. And so these people that came from the background of idol worship, uh, uh, from idolatry, from sacrificing uh, meat to idols, now they go to the market to buy meat, and you can't look at meat and tell whether that meat was sacrificed to idols or not. It doesn't have the USDA stamp on it. Does that make sense? So they have no idea where the meat came from. And so because they were afraid that knowing that some of that meat had come from sacrifices that were made to idols and they came out of idol worship, they said, no, we will not eat meat. It's a sin to eat meat. So they then go and start believing and trying to persuade all of the others around them, you should not eat meat because it's been offered to idols. For others, they did not come from that background. Their background was completely different. The background they came from was a background they knew nothing about meat being offered to idols. All they knew was that meat was good and they ate meat and so they bought meat. They didn't care who had butchered it, where it had come from, and how it had gotten there. It was just meat. And so they were going to eat the meat. So the apostle speaks to this. And he, here he comes in on the scene in the middle of this, this controversy over eating meat or not eating meat. And so the apostle at that point, he says, he, he begins to deal with it. And he starts saying, First of all, you need to learn to prefer your brother. You need to consider one another. Consider the background. Consider where they came from. Consider the fact that to those who came out of pagan idolatry, to them to eat meat 
it reminded them of the past and where they came from. And it is a conviction that they have put in their own life. But to the pagan, to the one that had come out of paganism, they need to also consider the one that did not come from paganism. They need to understand that they're people who don't even have any rationale about that point of view. All they grew up with was going to the market, buying meat, and having a, a, good, a good, uh, good steak. And it was enjoyable, and it was, it was wonderful, and they don't even understand where you're coming from. Now these folks who had developed a conviction against eating meat, they began to impose their conviction on everybody else. This is where division in the church can come. When one begins to impose a conviction. I'm not talking about a biblical, scriptural proof of this is what the Bible says. That's doctrine. We can, we can nail that down. Everybody, that's not optional. Convictions, which we all should have one. Everybody should have maybe more than one. We all should have convictions. Convictions is our personal preferences that are based and built on what we have come out of, on what we have dealt with in our past, the lifestyle that we have led. And so now we have these personal convictions that may say, for me to eat meat, it reminds me of the idolatry that God saved me from. So it wasn't that easy, of course, for these new Christians. This issue now has become exactly that. It was an issue. And so the Apostle Paul says, if you're one of those who are stronger in faith, this is how he puts it. He said, let the stronger yield to the weaker. He's saying the issue here has nothing to do with meat, whether meat's right or wrong. Meat's good for the body, but if it offends your brother... You ought to not eat meat. If you're doing it and it offends your brother, don't eat meat. This is how he's dealing with it. So the principle Paul is saying, if by eating meat you are offending a weak Christian, then consider your brother. Don't cause them to fail. Don't cause them to become disgruntled and want to not be part of what's going on. Don't eat it. Now today we don't have a problem over meat. That's not the issue. Only during the Daniel's fast do we have issues over meat. But at the same time, we have issues similar that still exist in the church. And it is about considering one another and where we've come from and what our background looks like. Now I've shared this story with you before, but for the sake of some who maybe have never heard this story, I want to share this story with you again. I was working on a project in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and um, I think Brother Doran Saltemeyer might have been there on that project. I don't remember if any others were there. And uh, a man by the name of John uh, was working for me, and I had hired John. He was a member of uh, Pastor Keller's church um, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I would called the church looking for uh, anyone who may be uh, available to work, and they had put me in contact with Brother John, and so he showed up to work, and man, he showed up the first day, and he gets out there, and he's just like, man, let me give you my testimony, and he just, he's talking, and he's, he's going, and he's, he's telling me, just telling me all about his background, well, Brother Keller had told me, John is a great soul winner, he, he probably personally wins and brings 30, 40 people every year to the church, gets them in Bible studies, they see them baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. He is a great, great soul winner. He said, now, John's going to talk a little bit when he's out there with you. That was an understatement. I knew everything about John in the first 15 minutes of being there. And so he's telling me all about his past life and where he had come from. And John said, man, he said, I, I was in a motorcycle gang. He starts explaining to me kind of part of his background and, and, and how deep in sin that he was, he said some of the things that he had done. And, and so he was going on telling me all about uh, where he was when God saved him and drugs and alcohol and, and 
just a complete life of perversion and sin. And he said, man, I was radical. He said, I was crazy. God saved me. He said, turn my life around, change me. He said, they, they had hits out on my life. And he said, God saved me from all that. He said, so people do whatever they want to do. I'm going to testify. I'm going to witness. And so he's talking, and I'm thinking at some point I'm going to get a word in. And so when I got a word in, I said, so John, what kind of motorcycle do you have? And John said, no, uh-uh. Not me. I don't have a motorcycle. He said, God delivered me from all of that ungodly lifestyle. He said, I, 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 got, I sold that thing. He said, that's behind me. I thought, wow. And in the middle of kind of probably the look on my face, John said, no, 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 no. Now, if you have a motorcycle, there's nothing wrong with you having a motorcycle. He said, but for me, he said, as a matter of fact, he said, I, I, last year I went and talked to Pastor Keller and told him I was thinking about buying me a bike. And he said, no problem, John, go buy you a bike. I think that's fine. He said, I went down, I looked at one. He said, I got on it, sat on that thing. He said, man, it felt right. He said, I started it up. He said, I felt that engine rev. And he said, the vibration of that Harley. And he said, man, he said, some wave of something came over me. And he said, it took me back to the life that I had lived and where I had been. And he said, I just felt everything come over me that God had delivered me from. And he said, man, I just went back there for a second. And he said, I thought, no, I can't do this. God delivered me. I don't want anything to do with it. And so he said, I just shut it off. He said, I stepped off of that bike. And he said, I looked at the salesman who thought he was about to make a sale. And I said, thank you, sir. And the salesman was like, wait, wait, what's wrong? Something wrong? He said, no, 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 nothing's wrong. He said, never look back, Brother Jordan. He said, I never look back. He said, now for you, if you've got a bike, no problem. He said, but for me, it takes me back to where I've come from. It takes me back to what God's delivered me from. Now let me help you with what I'm trying to, to say to you tonight. What the Apostle Paul is dealing with here is he is he is dealing with meats and he's saying now for those of you who came from idolatry I'm not telling you not to have a conviction and say I won't eat meat because it might have been sacrificed to idols just don't try to make doctrine out of your conviction he said, for you, this is wrong. This is where you came from. This is a non-biblical standard that you're setting for yourself because it reminds you of the idolatry that God delivered you from. But don't cast judgment on one that doesn't even know about idolatry that comes in and picks up meat. And the Bible never speaks against eating meat. But the apostle said, in the spirit of cooperation, in the spirit of learning how to Consider one another. He said, let the stronger consider the weaker. I ought to get an amen out of the congregation tonight. He said, let the stronger consider. Don't say, well, I've been doing this my whole life. No, then you, if you're strong, if you're stable, you ought to not lead someone who is a new convert, someone who has not, don't lead them astray by saying, I've done it my whole life. It never hurt me. But if they are establishing a conviction in their life, honor their conviction. Don't mock them. Don't make fun of them. Don't let them have their conviction just because it's not your conviction. Let them establish it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with convictions tonight, I'm talking about establishing some non-biblical things in your life. Maybe the principle is there, but in Scripture you don't find anywhere where you do this or don't do this, but it's just something that you feel in your heart that you choose not to do. By all means, establish it in your life and don't cross the line. Because it may be the Holy Spirit's way of directing you and guiding you and preventing you from backsliding somewhere down the road. And so the apostle said, consider one another. So my question for you is, are we developing the habit of living our life of faith so strong that we can live and be in church and be friends with and be in cooperation with people in the church? that have a different view on non-biblical things than we have? And can I love them 
And can I care for them? And can I worship with them? Number two, I've spent so much time there, I'm really going to have to move more quickly now. Number two, the second habit that we need to develop is the sincere study of Scripture. The Word of God is the whole purpose of us coming together. Now, I know occasionally we may have a service where we just worship and praise and it's singing and worship and God moves and people get healed, get the Holy Ghost, and we have no preaching. That's very, very rare. And the reason it's very rare is because I believe that the Word of God is where, is where salvation really has its basis. And we need the Word of God. And so most of the time we're going to preach. You're gonna, not going to come to a lot of services where we just run the aisles, jump, run, scream, buck, snort, shout, and go home and say, wow, boy, didn't we have church? Most of the time we're going to get into the Word of God and we're going to have a scriptural, scripturally based message that we have prayed over, sought God over, that brings the bread of life to us. It is our nourishment. This brings about spiritual maturity. Preaching and teaching should always be reverenced. We ought to not be engaged in service as long as the music is going and as long as the singing is happening, but as soon as it comes time to, for preaching, it's like, yeah, hey, I'm just going to go you know, sit out back. I'm just going to, now it's time for me to you know, get out my phone or go walk around and ignore what's being said. The preached word of God ought to be reverenced, whether it's our favorite preacher or not, whether it's our favorite subject or not, whether it's on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night, revival service. We ought to reverence, we're not, we don't have to reverence the preacher, that's not what this is about, but we ought to reverence the word of God for this word. David said, thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This word ought to be illuminating things in your life. <coughs> the Word of God ought to be illuminating your life so that it is helping you grow and become more Christ-like. So God has given us His Word for our benefit. His Word, in His Word, contains spiritual life. Paul states in our text, that the scripture is for our learning and gives us hope. So by studying the scripture, the weak become stronger and the strong will learn to understand the weaker. Let me keep moving. Number three, the third habit that we need to develop in our life is that we need to develop the spirit of endurance or steadfastness. We need to learn how to, how to be able to endure struggles and hardships. If we are ruled by our emotions, we will always fail. Our emotions must not control our, our actions. We should, we should always establish in our life that regardless how I feel today, I'm still going to serve God. Regardless what happens in my life, I'm still going to serve God. So we need to put some things down in our life. We need to put some stability in our life that says, whatever comes or goes, I'm still going to serve God. No matter who comes or who leaves, who backslides, who falls into sin, regardless of what happened, I am serving God. Because my relationship with God is more important than anything else around me. Listen, let me get it real straight with you. And you need to feel this way. You need to be able to look on this platform tonight and see me as your pastor bringing you the bread of life tonight. You need to be able to look and say there is nothing in my life more important than my personal relationship with God. Not my spouse, not my pastor, not my neighbor, not my best friend, because if they fail God, if they mess up, I still have to be saved. 
And so we need to get some endurance in us that's, that allows us to be able, oh sure, when people, the people we esteem, people we love fall, fall into sin, go by the wayside. Of course it affects us. Of course it hurts us. Of course it leaves questions. But it must never shake us to the point that we don't allow our endurance and steadfastness to anchor us and say, I'm going on with Jesus. Take the whole world, give me Jesus. i got to be saved. No matter what anybody else does, I must be saved. Paul said, I must press on toward the mark, toward the prize of the high calling of God which is in Christ Jesus. The church must learn to endure. As individuals, we must learn to be steadfast and filled with endurance. Just because someone doesn't agree with us, whether they're right or wrong, doesn't give us the right to walk away from truth. So many people, so many that leave the truth for some lesser Way. Let me just put it that way. People who leave the truth for some path that doesn't require as much commitment and as much sacrifice, most of them leave with some sort of hurt. They talk about it. It's who, it's who offended them. It's what offended them. It's what pushed them out the door. It's what hurt them. It's what affected them. Listen, child of God. Every person needs to develop endurance in their life that says, whatever storm comes my way, I, my feet are on the rock, my mind is made up. I'm not serving man, friend, brother, sister, or church. I'm serving God. And above everything else, I must be saved. So the scripture teaches us that the early church, they endured tribulations. They endured hardness. They endured unto the end. They endured more than just for a short time, but they endured until the end. They endured sound doctrine. They endured afflictions, persecutions. They endured chastening. They endured grief. They endured suffering. They endured, they endured, uh, they endured suffering and grief and, and all things, the Scripture said. They endured all things. So we didn't come this far. To throw in the towel because something happens to us. But we must be established, our feet on the rock, and declare, my mind's made up, I'm serving the Lord. The fourth habit that we need to develop is the attitude of hope. The attitude of hope. Let, let, me, let me talk to you about this for a few minutes. Because if we're not careful, we can get caught up with the things that happen to us causing us to become negative, causing us to... to what comes out of our mouth, what comes out of our actions is just nothing but a pessimistic outlook. Now, I mentioned that one in, in Stephen Covey's book. One of his habits is to begin with the end in mind, and, and this is true of the church. But we must never forget that the church is destined to heaven. And so if we stay in truth, stay in the Word of God, that we are going to always come out the other side successful because Jesus has already predetermined that the church is going to heaven. And if we stay living for God and stay in the church, no matter what we go through, we're going to come out the other side. Things are going, we're going to go through some things, but the good thing is, is that we're not staying in them, we're going through them. So yesterday, Spencer just dropped me a little text, and it said this. A pessimist looks at the glass and says it's half empty. An optimist looks at the glass and says it's half full. But faith looks at the glass and says, my cup runneth over. It's not that we have to gloss over all difficulties and just say, oh, praise the Lord, I'm a child of His, and there's no struggle in my life. Everything's going to turn out all right. It is that we have to live with a big picture of faith in mind. The point is, is there is a glass, and it may not be running over at this moment. The Scripture says it like this, faith without works is dead. The Scripture also says the things that we cannot do, that God will do. And so when we reach the point that we can't do anymore, God will do it for us. While it is... While it is not said 
the point that is made so clearly that when we can't do it for ourselves, God will do it for us, leaves me to believe that perhaps the things that we can do for ourselves, God will leave for us to do. Faith without works is dead. And so therefore it requires, everything that we do requires an element of works. And that element of works that we do, that's why people who preach a doctrine that says we're, that, our, that everything we do in God is just based on faith. You don't have to do anything. Just live, do whatever you want to do, and you're going to be saved. The Scripture does not teach that. That's not found in the Bible. They take some Scripture out of context. Faith without works is dead. Works is required, and in works requires an element of reality. So therefore, we must look and understand what needs to be done. But faith also brings an element of hope into every situation. Anybody with me tonight? Faith brings hope into the situation. So no matter how bleak it is, no matter how bad it is, no matter how dark the night or how long that you have been in the dilemma, faith brings hope. The light of hope into the situation. I look back here tonight on my right side. Pardon me for pointing you out tonight, Brother Jason. But I always, I look back when I see you here, I notice every service, whether you're here or not, rarely do you get by without me not making a little mental note. Brother Jason was there or wasn't there. Because I know if he's not here, it's usually because he's so sick that he can't be here because he's faithful. But those of you who know, he, Brother Jason's been dealing with a kidney disease and been on dialysis and gone through more than what anybody I don't know I don't know that Job went through any more than what brother Jason and sister Dace have been through and they've remained very very faithful and it would be very easy very very easy for brother Jason to say I've lost all faith and I've lost all hope but I look over tonight and I see him here and no matter how discouraged that he may get on the days of his sickness and the days of his struggle and the hardship. But there is enough faith in that man of God that is sitting there tonight that says, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and go to church on Wednesday night. And I'm going to hear my pastor get up and tell me on the worst day of my life. All it is that keeps me going is that somewhere there's a little hope that is there. There's a little faith that is there. That faith brings hope that says, God's going to make a way. God's going to see me through. God's going to bring me out the other side. It doesn't remove the reality of what he's going through. But oh, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. Faith brings hope that says there is a God that is in charge of my situation. The fifth, the fifth habit that we need to develop is the habit of harmony. That doesn't mean, Sister Cheryl, learning how to sing together. But singing in harmony is a great example of what this text is really talking about. It means we all do our own part. Do you understand that harmony is multiple people singing in a different, singing a different note? It is a note that makes up a chord. That's what singing in harmony is. You're not all singing the same note. We're all singing a different note, but it makes up a beautiful chord if you're all singing in harmony. In harmony means that the note that you're singing works in conjunction with the person that is singing next to you. Somebody ought to say amen. So what I'm singing is a different note than what my brother or sister is singing, but they work well together. And when two or three or four of us get together and start singing, it makes such, the, the harmony blends our different notes so incredibly well that sometimes it's difficult to even know who's singing which part. Because we're working in harmony. Somebody say the church. 
In the church, ladies and gentlemen, we have to learn to work in harmony. Meaning we all are functioning in different areas. We're all singing a different note. But you know what? The chord is still the same. We're still in one mind and one accord. I may be exaggerating the scripture, stretching the scripture a little bit there. But I want you to understand that working together in the church, we must learn to work together in harmony. Meaning one does what they do and another does what they do. But because of our unity, we are playing and singing together beautifully as unto the Lord. So we're not out of a cookie cutter. We don't all look the same. We don't all act the same. But we are working together and together we are working in harmony. I heard a story, and I'm going to share it. I debated on whether I had time to share it, but I'm going to share it. I've never forgotten this story that was shared with me many years ago. The church had a discussion. The story goes that the church had a discussion about cutting down a tree. And there were varied opinions, as there always is on any situation. Anytime there's a group together, there's always different opinions. When our board of trustees meet together and we discuss something, there's always varied opinions. Everybody's got their own opinion, and so we listen to everybody's opinion. It comes from different points of view. And somewhere together, we try to bring it together and, and finally all reach a point that we all are in agreement of, with what we're doing. And so there is a give and take in that, in that environment of everything. So in this story, it's about a church meeting, and they were discussing, the church was discussing whether to take a tree down that had been in the churchyard for a long time. There was a lot of different opinions. And so somebody was there, and, and their their family member was the one that planted the tree, and somebody else was there and said, well, it was it was planted in memory of my family member. And, and somebody else said they really liked it, and somebody else didn't like it, and they said it was an eyesore. And somebody else said, well, the tree's rotting in the middle. And somebody else said, you know, I have to mow around it. And, and, and somebody else said, well, I'm, 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 I'm with the guy that has to mow around it. I have to clean up all the leaves and the, the limbs that's fallen. And and somebody else come and said, my kids play under the shade of the tree. And somebody else came and they said, you know, I, the, the deal is is that my kids play under it too, but I'm afraid it's going to fall on them because it's, it's, it, it's, 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 you know, it's got dead limbs in it. And so all of this discussion is going back and forth. And the, the one man that had so much to say, he was speaking so loudly and he was so strongly. And when it came time to vote, he strongly voted against taking the tree down. But the majority voted to take the tree down. The church decided the tree was going to come down. And so here sits the man that had spoken so much for leaving the tree in place and not taking the tree down. Yet, Saturday morning came and it was time that the church volunteers were going to come and take the tree down. And when the pastor arrived that morning, 15 minutes before everyone else arrived, he thought he pulls up and there was the good brother that had so much to say against it. He was already there. His truck was pulled up. His tailgate was down and his chainsaw was there and his work clothes was on. He was ready. And the pastor walked over to the gentleman and he said, Brother, he said, I'm surprised to see you here this morning. I know this tree meant so much to you and you, you spoke so strongly and voted against it, taking it down. He said, I, I can't imagine that you're here this morning. He said, well, of course I'm here. We decided that we're taking the tree down. Let that settle in with you. He grabs his saw. He said, Pastor, let me be the one that runs the saw through the, through the base and, lay, and, and falls this tree in front of everybody because I want them to know that my opinion, while it was very strong, was not as important as the decision that the church made to take the tree down. Learning to work together. Learning to, learning to work in harmony one with another. It's not my opinion that matters as much as our opinion. The sixth habit is the habit of praise. I wish I had more time to spend on these next two, but the sixth habit is the habit of praise. Now, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with this topic, and because of time, I'm going to have to kind of blitz through, and I intended to spend a great deal of time here. But the habit of praise here. I'm going to come from two different angles very quickly. The first habit of praise is that we ought to learn to praise one another more than critiquing one another. Learn how to speak a compliment 
to a brother or a sister that you see labored and working. If you see some, somebody, uh, when we were building the church, sometimes we would laugh about it, and it really didn't happen too often. Uh, we had someone who I suppose must no longer be a member here because uh, I haven't seen them in a while, but uh, we were here working, and I saw that individual come two or three times, and every time that they did come to visit, they always made sure to come by where I was to tell me the way that things ought to be done. And so they would leave. And so anytime there was a conversation in the foyer of the church or around, they were always quick to come by and say, you know, I, I came by and I, I noticed and I, I wanted to ask, are you doing this and are you doing that and are you doing that? And I said, well, I'm not sure, but we'll let the committee decide. We were out here working one day and some of the guys that were working, I said, let's have a committee meeting. Kind of looked around. I said, we are the committee. We're building this church and we're going to decide what's going to be done. And so we, the committee, decided. Now, here's the issue. Sometimes we can see somebody and be real quick to critique them and say, you should do it this way. You should teach your class that way. You should, you should sing this way or we should do this song or we should do that song or we should change it or you should preach longer or shorter. It's never longer. It's always shorter. I get that. And so... We could always have a critique, but we need to learn to serve God with an attitude of praise, particularly among people that are labored and working. In the church, people are volunteering, giving their time, their talents, their treasure. They're, they're putting so much in. We need to learn to walk up to brothers and sisters, and instead of walking up with an attitude of, you should do something differently than the way you're doing, we should learn to walk up and compliment them and Praise them and tell them thank you. Tonight, while we're here enjoying a Bible study or for some enjoying, for others getting through, while we're here tonight, we have people that are volunteering. They could be sitting in here enjoying a Bible study, but they're, they're in classrooms and they're teaching. They've got our youth upstairs and children in classrooms and they're teaching them. They're not just in watching a video and just getting by, but they're, they're pouring into them and they're spending energy and effort and time. That's why we ought to go by. And, and the crew that's here on Wednesday nights, a different crew that'll be teaching on Sunday night, and some of them do interchange. But we need to be careful instead of always criticizing what others are doing to stop by and say, hey, Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Thank you for teaching. Thank you for singing. Thank you for, I, I know it looks like when we look on the, on the platform and we see these guys up here. I see Dylan and Isaac sitting over here. And they're always up here. And these guys have more talent. They're just running over. They could, they could almost run the world with all their talent. They mix that talent together. And, and, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes they probably say, I would a whole lot rather just be sitting out front one service. You see those hands going up. Because they're like, I'm, I'd rather just sit out front one service and enjoy. So it can become burdensome if we're not careful. So that's why it's, it's good sometimes for us to go by and see a brother that's mowing a lawn and stop in and say, hey, by the way, it looks good. Thank you. You know what we're, we're, we're too often do? We come by and jokingly say, hey, you missed a spot. And while we may be joking, we need to learn to praise one another and encourage one another. When you see somebody doing well, instead of saying, boy, I noticed a few weeks ago you had a bad attitude. What was wrong with you? How about all the rest of the time you see them, they have a good attitude? How about learning to praise one another and encourage one another? Let me take this to the next step, and because of time, I've got to really rush here. But we need to learn not only to do that, but our praise unto the Lord is very important. Our corporate praise that is coming together and not only speaking praise one to another, but we need to learn to serve God with an attitude of praise. Not always asking God, Lord, would you fix this and change this? And our whole attitude of serving God is about give me, give me, give me. But we need to learn to come together as a church body and say, you know what? It's church time. It's time for me to praise him. Because Monday he woke me up and Tuesday he woke me up. And life may not be perfect, but he's been better to me than what he, what he should be. 
And so therefore, when I come into the house of the Lord, I ought to come with an attitude of praise in my heart and begin to corporately together in unison begin to praise and magnify God because He's been so good to me. Don't come to church always to say, give me, feed me, sing the one I like, do what I like, but instead coming together saying, I'm praising Him, worshiping Him, magnifying Him because He's been so good. The seventh thing, I've got about six minutes to wrap this up. Preferring one another, our text says. And I feel I haven't done this justice tonight because I haven't been able to break the scripture down the way I wanted to. But the seventh, the seventh habit that the apostle talks about here is preferring one another. It's the last habit in this list that I've made tonight. Following the example of Jesus, he even talks about the example of Christ, of how we receive one another is how the text says it. I'm, I'm using the term preferring one another or receiving one another. And what the text here is, is talking about is, is how, we, how we, do you really prefer your brother? Do we serve one another in the spirit of preference? On Sunday mornings, we have our, our common grounds, as we call it, the coffee shop that is open back in the back. And these good sisters and brothers come early and open up and make coffee and get pick-up donuts. And, and they leave their house early, not because they're going to come here and just enjoy it. They can make a pot of coffee at home, but they come here to try to make your life better. It's in the spirit of serving. When you pull up out front out here, we have some men that stand out and they're willing to help you. And for those ladies that come and come by yourself, bring children, they're there to open a door to help you with that child. And so it's cold outside. Guess what? They're still out serving. And if you'll let them, they'll park your car. I pull up, and there's hardly a time that I pull to drop my wife, I pull under to drop my wife off, that one of the men, Brother Dan, Brother Mick, one of the, one of the guys serving there are, are always there. They're like, Pastor, can, can I park your car? And they do it like it would be an honor if I'd let them park my car. And I say, no, I'm still able-bodied. I'll park it myself. They're like, if you'll get out, Pastor, we'll park it. Occasionally I may be running late, and I say, thank you. You can park my car for me. But they, they're out serving. That's what this is talking about, preferring your brother. Doing for one another, not because we have to, but because we want to. Let me serve you. So we want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom. I think Jesus pretty much laid that out and made it very clear. It's he who is the servant. He's talking about preferring one another. You're, you're getting the point tonight. I know you do. But whether it's instead of, by, by preferring my brother means I could choose to say, I'm going to park my car right up front, but instead I'm going to, I'm going to, park, I'm going to take the back row to allow a guest to prefer an elder to be able to pull or a handicapped individual to be able to have the preferred parking. I'm preferring my brother. I could go first, but instead I'll step back and say, after you. Preferring one another. This is what the apostle is teaching us here, that we are preferring one another. We've got folks here who give up their Sunday afternoon nap to go to Lafayette or to go to Lebanon and to see that the churches have enough ushers and greeters and singers and musicians and helpers and altar workers all the while that sometimes it's like, whoa, I sure am tired today. My nap sure would feel good, but after being here on Sunday morning and plans to coming back on Sunday night, you're still going and you're sacrificing. You're preferring your brother and your sister to help them see their mission accomplished. This is a habit that if the church, and this church is one, I, I compliment you tonight because that is an attitude of this church. Let's don't ever get to the point that it's all about serving me, serving me, serving me. 
This is a church of servants, people who give. You give of your time, give of your talent. All we have to do is just mention we need, and everybody's like, what do you need, Pastor? We've got a funeral dinner an hour away. Sister Amanda Dalton packs up her car, comes and gathers up all the dishes that you folks made and, and, and right in the middle of Christmas time, and, and you brought food, and you, 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 you sacrificed and said, sure, I'll bake an extra cake. I'll give an extra amount of money. I'll, I'll fix another dish. Sister Amanda takes it all the way up an hour north of here for a new family in our church to say, we just want you to know we love you and we care about you. That's the kind of church that Christian Life Church is. That's who we are. And every child of God needs to develop that attitude. You ought to thank God for that tonight. You ought to thank God for that. We're growing and becoming what God wants us to be. Stand with me and give God a shout of praise tonight because He's the one that's worthy of all our praise. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. So our church, our membership, we're like, we're like all the ingredients that makes up a good loaf of bread. Boy, I could really talk about this tonight. In Jesus' name, Lord, help me get through this close. All the ingredients that makes up a loaf of bread. It's not all the same thing. You just don't go out into a field and pick some wheat and say, hey, look, I got a loaf of bread. We don't just all go and pick all the, the grains of wheat, bring them into the house. But it takes a lot of ingredients for it to work together to become a good loaf of bread. Such is the church. We're a body fitly framed together. We're working together. We're not all just alike. We don't all speak just alike. We don't come from the same backgrounds. But what God is doing through us because we are merging our hearts in faith. The wheat doesn't look at the yeast and say you're unimportant. And the yeast doesn't look at the salt and say you're unimportant. But all together, blended the way that God so chooses, He uses us to be able to bring the bread of life to this region that He's planted us in. I want to be what God wants me to be. How about you? I want to grow in God and be what God would have me to be. Let's close in prayer tonight. Lord, we thank you tonight for what you're doing in our lives and through the church. Thank you, O oh God, that you have placed. Thank you for the opportunity to serve this incredible congregation of people. Thank you, Lord, for faithful people that are interested in growing their personal life.